1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm Rose Keleiora, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you guys today. It's officially the last one before we do a preview Tunnel Vision. How exciting is that? Pac-12 football. Hopefully he's back. Hopefully nothing else happens before we get to next Saturday. But uh, so we have a lot to talk about today, including mock game week. USC is kind of in mock game week. It's like a half and half. We'll get into it. Uh, Then we talked to USC special teams today. Uh, Special teams coordinator Sean Snyder and uh, kicker Chase McGrath, long snapper Damon Johnson. So we got a better sense of that whole unit. We haven't really heard from them so far in training camp, so we'll talk about that. And then the tight ends. What will they... What would the role look like this season? And of course, there's a lot of other topics to talk about, so we'll get to it. And if you have any comments or questions, put them in all platforms. We are live on all three Periscope, YouTube, and Facebook. So shout out to that; they all work. I'm excited, and you could uh, you could tweet at us hashtag TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. Uh, but we're having some issues with the the comments, so I can't put them up this week. But I will be monitoring them nonetheless. But guys, like I said, it's the last official offseason. Whoop, whoop. We made it longest offseason ever. Uh, congrats to everyone. Uh, guys, where do you want to start? We've almost through the third week of training camp press conferences. I guess, Ryan, let's start with you. Sure. What stood out to you this week so far from this week's pressers?
2: Well, real, real quick, Keely. Yes, okay. it's exciting that we're going into our mock game week. And then after this show, we're going to start doing shows Wednesdays and then you know next Sunday after the first game. So we're excited to do two shows a week. That's the schedule we're planning on. As of right now, I hope you can join us. And we're excited to start covering football. We're getting, like Keely said, cross our fingers to let this happen and make sure that Pac-12 Football happens. But we're doing a crazy special sale on uscfootball.com right now, half off a VIP membership. So they don't do this very often. So if you want to go check it out until the end of the week, 50% off uh, the VIP stuff. If you want to get all the inside information. We're putting up instant analysis like four days a week. Now we're even doing more than we were when we were actually covering the practices. So there's a lot of good stuff going up there. A lot of really interesting notes you can read on the Peristyle. Shotgun's been doing a great job with the ghost notes. Chris putting stories up all over the place. Gerard's still all over recruiting. We're just doing all kinds of stuff in there. And, of course, we got our Tunnel Vision show that we do it twice a week. We're doing mm-hmm. multiple podcasts. Shotgun, I'm excited. We got we got a lot of coverage going on.
0: I know. We're, we're finally back to you know almost actual football. And for us, obviously, not getting to see fall camp, we're even more excited with the opportunity to, to finally see USC in action and see – If everything the coaches have been talking about and the players is actually true and if it's coming to fruition with a a new defense and a new special teams coordinator, uh, you know, you're you're anxious to see how those things look. And normally by this time, we're like, all right, just get the game going. But I I feel like there's more excitement on our side just because we haven't seen anything. You know, we have more of the fan perspective this year. Of where we're still talking to coaches and stuff, we're not seeing what you know if what they're saying is accurate and being able to add our own uh, kind of analysis of it. So, I'm looking forward to to getting back to games and being able to analyze some games. So, you know, if you want, if you jump on that VIP sale, you'll get all my game analysis and stuff of participation charts, all that
2: that'll be coming back once the season gets back rolling as well. Yeah, he'll check all that stuff out. And, real quick, I want to give a shout out to the Trojan Marching Band. If you haven't seen, I've been doing something called an art cast you know, Dr. Arthur C. Bartner, 50 years running the USC Trojan Marching Band. They asked me to do a podcast, like a video podcast, similar to what we do here with him. So we've done eight episodes so far. And to thank me, they sent me, I got my Spirit of Troy uh, mask, but this is really cool. The Gold Standards 50th anniversary album from uh, the Trojan Marching Band, and Dr. Bartner signed it. So it's pretty neat. Like, you know, I never would have pictured me going to school in 1989 at USC and like, oh, yeah, one day Dr. Bartner will been there for 50 years and he'll sign an album for me. So it's pretty cool. So I want to shout out to the band. And make sure you check out the Artcast. There's some really cool, like, historic stuff uh, going on there where we talk about, you know, past games that he's been a part of and then some of the tra- the Trojan marching band traditions. So it's pretty cool stuff. But. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chuck. You got something. You gotta
0: get you gotta get uh, the the Fleetwood Mac band to go ahead and sign
2: that as well. They're back in the news right now with the the TikTok. So I know exactly. Makes you want to like jump on a skateboard and drink some uh, juice. juice. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, back to my original question, though, gentlemen. Uh, I'm right in the ship now. We've had three weeks of training camp, uh, at least training camp pressers. The thing that stood out to me is just the talk about physicality. You know, we heard Chris Steele and Elijah Griffin last week. Uh, They're two of the more honest players in their interviews, and they were talking about, you know, it was kind of low energy last year with the defensive staff. This new staff uh, is pretty high energy. Uh, But then we hear from Clay Helton; they're going into semi-mock game week in the third week of training camp. It's an interesting dynamic. You know, even though they had hell week last week, and they've been doing full pads a lot, and Here's the thing. We have all watched Clay Helton practices and we've seen what he sees and sometimes in he doesn't say what we've evaluated on our own. So as reporters, what have you been picking up just from pressers without actually having to watch anything? How do you gain or uh, what do you glean from what they're saying?
2: Real quick. So the, whenever you're trying to ask questions, you have like kind of a new regime. You always want to compare like, well, what are you got to do that's different than last year? And they never want to really do that. But a couple of players you mentioned, Keeley, were sort of saying like, yeah, we weren't all that physical in practice last year. So I think that's a, I think that's a good sign when you get that sort of comparison to like this, what we're doing now is different. And I feel like, you can trust Todd Orlando. He wasn't protecting anything from last year. He's just telling you, this is the way I want to do things. And I think when you know Clay Hilton brings in a guy like that, they're going to go and, and do what he really wants to do on the defensive side of the ball. And I think they can set kind of the tone for practice on the defensive side of the ball. I do feel even though we can't watch, full disclosure, I feel like if we were, we'd say, okay, there's more There's more physicality going on. There's more hitting. And I I think the way they're going to run things on the defensive side, as far as practice goes, and also with special teams, you guys got to talk to uh, Sean Snyder this morning. Uh, I talked to him earlier on a, a Lunch with the Trojan show. And uh, so I, I feel like the way he's going to be running practice or the way he has been, is going to be a more efficient way to get these guys in and out And so overall, I think the tone of practice is going to be different. Man, I wish we could see. But just from reading between the lines of what I'm hearing from these guys, I do feel like it's going to be a little bit different, maybe significantly different than what we've seen in previous years.
1: Shotgun, your thoughts?
0: I mean, I really felt that way last week. But then after listening to Helton this week, I'm a lot more skeptical. When you say, well, we're going to pull it back, you know, we're really physical, and the fact that he keeps getting – you know, we're, we're just so happy we got out of this without any injuries, and then every day we find out there's more injuries. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, none of those seem to be, you know, uh, injuries that may linger into the season, and ho- we hope that's not the case. But, you know, we keep seeing guys in the back of video, you know, the video clips they provide for us that are not practicing, or we see some guys are trickling back in. Um, so there's still some question marks there. But, you know, when you talk about well, we're going we're, we're gonna to start focusing on Arizona State and we're going to pull back a little bit, which is what Clay Helton made it sound like. Now I get more skeptical about whether you can keep it up. Because we've seen this every single year. We get excited in fall camp at one little stretch. And usually it's this week. Usually this is the week where USC goes the hardest during, during their practice week, uh, their full pad practices during this week of the mock game week. Uh, and then the mock game itself, they pull everything back, and it's only the twos and threes that really play. And from there, it just goes. And you're like, where? what happened to that intensity? What happened to that energy? Now, maybe they'll still have that intensity and energy, you know, in the, in the periods, and maybe Todd Orlando, just his, you know, his uh, demeanor diff- being different from Clancy Pendergast, maybe that will bring it about. And Vic Soto is obviously, a, you know, a very active guy, uh, brings a lot of energy to practice. Dante Williams and Craig Ivar are the same. So maybe the coaches are bringing that themselves, but the practice plan, it just – it scares me a little bit that we're going to see the same thing that we've seen in the past years once we do see this team, you know, back in action.
1: Mm -hmm. I was telling Ryan on the Parasol Podcast Shotgun that I feel like in order to have a full culture change, you have to do things that are out of your comfort zone. And I feel like for Clay Helton's case, that means not... Maybe doing mock game week, maybe continuing with full pads in week three or, you know, just doing different than the last couple seasons. Because the thing we've talked about is that USC has started slow historically against teams that are not the ASUs at 9 a.m. And if you continue to do what you've done every year that produces a slow start, how are you expecting something different this time around? You know,
0: Shotgun? Yeah, I completely understand that. Now, the one thing I will say that they've done different is that they've kind? Of, every week has kind of been a game week for them. You know, they've prepared Friday and Saturday because of the nine a.m. start. They've taken every Friday and gone to the Coliseum like they would before a game. You know, they're getting up at the same time, so they're doing some of the things that they would do during a you know a normal game. What they're going to do next Friday and Saturday to prepare for that. Usually that's, you know, they they scrimmage on Saturdays in the past, but they were still just in their regular practice schedule. So maybe them going to the Coliseum on Fridays and going through their walkthrough, then maybe this is helping prepare them a little bit. So it's a little bit of a change, not a huge change. Um, And that's something that we've, We've said so many times in the past, you know, when things aren't going right and you need to change something, and that's not been Clay Helton's MO at all. You know, he usually sticks to the schedule, sticks with it, rides through whatever the storm is and tries to come out clean on the other side. And that hasn't always been the case for USC. But I think they've made some subtle changes, obviously not being able to see practice. We can't see if there's some other more drastic changes that, you know, we're not just not hearing about necessarily.
2: Yeah. It's sort of like if we want a food analogy. It's like that show Kitchen Nightmares or one of those things where like they bring this crazy, you know, chef that walks into this restaurant and it's just everything's crap. There's like rat feces around and old meat in the fridge and stuff like that. So what did uh, Notre Dame do a few years ago, Keila? You know, I think they had the Kitchen Nightmare show. The guy comes in and just guts everything, new menu, new everything. Clay sort of did it, Clay Hilton did it in sort of pieces where it's like, okay, we're gonna change the menu, but okay, the kitchen is still a nightmare back there. And now you've maybe you've changed the menu when you bring in Graham Harrell uh two years ago, and then this year you bring in Todd Orlando. Now you're like redoing the kitchen and and fixing everything up. And you're hopeful that you know having that guy come in and really change the the structure of what you're building does change what you're gonna be doing on the field. And if you watch the Todd Orlando defenses, wherever he goes someplace new, it is like, hey, we're getting a remodel and forever even things get better right away. Mm-hmm. So that's what you got to hope if you're a USC fan. And I'm pretty, I mean, I'm pretty optimistic that the changes that Todd Orlando is making, the changes that Sean Snyder is going to make on special teams with all the talent that this team has and a Graham Harrell offense. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not usually like this before a season, but I'm like, I, I kind of think they're going to run the table. I think they're going to win all those games. Interesting. <laughs>
1: I weird.
2: I, I never do. That. I never think that. But like, I'm I'm taking like the Dan Weber role here. But I'm, <laughs> but really, like that. I honestly just look at. it. I'm like, my gut feeling is this is going to be like last year. My gut feeling was, there's still going to be a bunch of issues. They fixed enough, I think, that I feel a lot better about it now.
1: How much does the schedule change boost that confidence that you have?
2: Well, it's a huge portion. Of it. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Take, like literally, you lop off. If you lop the schedule in half. You take the hard part away, and that's what you're left with. Like you could argue maybe ASU or Utah would be in the top half of those twelve games, but Notre Dame, uh, Alabama, Oregon, Washington, like those are probably the top four teams you're playing. They're all gone. Then you, where does Cal fit in? They could be five. Like I think Cal could be good this year. Stanford probably wouldn't be in that group, but you know the the majority, If you had to like balance the schedule, you basically took the hardest part away, and you're left with yeah. the leftovers.
1: Yeah,
0: they're still they're still cooking with good ingredients. That would be the players. They still have talented players out there, uh, but the schedule is more like Forrest Gump uh, in the thunderstorm, and his is the only shrimp boat that's remaining. You know, you cut out all the competition uh, off the schedule, so that's why Ryan can be more confident about this because sure. you, you've lost a bunch of the big competition, but you've also condensed the schedule. You're not having to go 11-1. and one. You're going 6-0 and oh, maybe. That's what you're trying to do. You've got a half a schedule to get through. Much better chance of that happening and not having slip-ups there. Now, is Arizona State going to be a tough game? Yes. But anything else, any other result uh, that's not a win after that, you would think is a slip-up. And maybe even Arizona State. I mean, they're what, 11-point favorites, I think it was, 9.5, 11, somewhere in that range. So, you know, USC is expected to win this game. That one you would say uh, there's a little bit closer to a toss up than, than that spread in my opinion. But the rest, if you lose, you know you you've, you've definitely fell off uh, of the boat here. So I, I think there's still good pieces, and we didn't really talk about it because we, we didn't have a show last week. We didn't talk about Todd Orlando, like you said, every time everywhere he goes they they change things. He's been able to to make big improvements on the defense, especially that year one. And he said it's not my scheme. It's not something yeah. you know that I'm doing special scheme wise because you're not going to out-scheme every team you play. He said it's more the getting players to buy in, and it's the culture change. And if that's the case, and if USC is really bought into that, which is what we're hearing from the players themselves, um, it, then we're hearing different things than we would normally hear from them in the regime change, I think. Uh, then if that's truly the case, then you feel a little bit more confident about this team now. I just want them to continue the intensity. I know there's depth issues and depth concerns especially this year with all the potential of a COVID you know outbreak and taking away you know a big swath of the roster but you got to keep up the intensity of the competition and that's the thing that USC's really pulled back on in the past and it's hurt them I think so we'll see if, if that change you know how much has actually changed on that front uh, when they get to
2: next Saturday. One more quick food analogy. So sure. you do the new restaurant and everything. You, you know, has got his brand new restaurant, and before you're going to have all these like restaurant critics come in, like from the LA Times and the New York Times and stuff. And now it's like, well, the New York Times can't make it. The the LA Times can't make it. uh, The Washington Post can't make it. But you got the Des Moines Register. The Daily Trojan is going to come out there. And like some paper from, I don't know, like a a small town in, in Texas somewhere. Like they're coming to review your restaurant. So not quite the same as if you had like these international food critics coming to your restaurant. So maybe even if the food wasn't quite up to snuff the food critics, you know, the guy from Des Moines be like, it's pretty darn good. So, uh, that's with the weaker schedule. So, there's my analogy there.
1: You're, you're forcing those analogies, right? Did I force that? I A think that's bit. pretty good. A Come on. Bit. Now, we got to talk to Clay Hilton at the start of the week, and he alluded to the fact that the ones are taking shape, that they've got some things figured out on that front, and that, that's what we would expect. One of the questions, and maybe the main concerns we had coming into the season, was USC's offensive line. How does that take shape? Of course, with Elijah Bear Tucker returning after opting out, that definitely helps. I got to talked to Liam Jimmins today, uh, and he was saying, you know, that's not settled yet. We still don't know the starters, but from what we've seen and what we've heard, it looks like we know who the starters are going to be. Elijah Tucker at left guard, uh, Andrew Voorhees, at, uh, sorry, Elijah Tucker at left tackle, uh, Andrew Voorhees at left guard, Brett Neilan at guard uh, center. Hello. Uh,
2: <laughs> Words are hard.
1: Words are hard. It's been a long day. Uh, Andrew uh, Liam Jimmins at right guard and Jalen McKenzie at right tackle. Never trying that you again. You got them all. You got Ooh, them all. Yeah. How do you all feel About that starting five. And the thing that's interesting, and I really pressed Liam on this because I was like, everyone keeps talking about this. The three freshmen that are standing out, Kaylee uh, (laughs) Collier, Cortland Ford, and uh, Jonah Monheim, people keep saying, you know, those freshmen are going to get playing time. They're really standing out. What are you seeing from the You can't say anything. What are you (laughs) taking away from this offensive line grouping?
2: Real quick. Yeah. And then you'll probably have Justin Dietrich as being like the sixth guy. Yeah. I think that's probably what you like. The problem is with the the opt-outs and, you know, there's just not as many options there. And you are sort of forced to, those guys are going to be on the too deep. Those young freshmen that you thought would be projects that you thought would take some time to develop. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of time. Now, I don't expect to see them coming into play unless there's like injuries or COVID outbreak on the offensive line, which I think would be devastating. Like there's just, there's starts there. I mean The, the way they, they're putting together this offensive line, we talked about AVT coming back. It's huge. It's almost like filling two spots the way he was able to do things, and they. I think with your top six, you feel pretty good about those guys. Dedech could move around some different spots, but after that, I think there's a lot of questions. So you're going to have to rely on those freshmen if you do get uh, any injuries. I just think that they're going to roll with that as much as they can. Like those, those are guys they feel comfortable with. There's a whole bunch of starts. You know, people forget about Voorhees coming back. Now he's moving to the left side, so it's a little bit different. I think when we normally saw him. But I think you could be optimistic about the top six or so. After that, uh, you know, there's there's not a lot of room for injuries or COVID stuff uh, on the offensive line.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, I, I said the last year we have them gaining a little bit of confidence in the offensive line. The fact that they've been pretty consistent with that first group gives me, you know, tells me that those, those spots are settled. Those guys ha- have done their part. So they now they can work to get that continuity that they need. Rather than, you know, having guys mix in and out for the last two weeks, they're going to have three weeks together where they've been practicing and they should have, you know, according to the images and stuff we're seeing and be, being provided. Let's always point that out. We're being provided these images by the school, so maybe they're trying to pull the wool over eyes. But I, I think the fact that those guys are going to have a chance to work together for three weeks is a big positive. You know, you get that continuity, and that was a big question coming in because you had so many guys moving. Brett Elon was the only guy going to stay in his spot at center. Everyone else, you had your two guards were moving out to tackle. You had two new guards coming in. And the fact that they're all old, you know, these are guys that have played. Even Liam Jimmins, you know, he's, you know he played on the defensive line, but he's got experience on the defensive line, and he got some experience last year on the offensive line. So you have, you know, five guys that have good game experience. Now, the question mark becomes if you have an injury, if you have, you know, a positive test or some contact tracing, then you have big questions, big questions after that. Because even Justin Didich behind, Um, you know, you have confidence in him, but he doesn't have that experience. You know, Liam Douglas, who a lot of uh, positive things have been said about him coming into this camp, he doesn't have any experience. Those freshmen obviously don't. But I think it's important. Those freshmen need to play this year. That means, hey, blow someone out. You need to get those freshmen playing time. Good point. Yeah. Because now – it, it may not play out this way because everyone has the extra year of eligibility. You expect Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be gone. But if one of those other seniors or you know redshirt juniors, if they decide, you know what, I, I spent enough time, I got my degree, I'm, I'm not into school, I'm going to go try and see if I can make an NFL team. If I don't, move on with my life. If they decide to do that, you have a couple of guys do that or an injury, something happens, you need those freshmen to be ready. So getting them some playing time this year, if it's a drive or two per game, Uh, And then if you can blow some people out and get them a quarter, I think that's huge. Now, we've heard a lot of good things about Carrier, Ford, and Monheim, And, you know, I'm being optimistic that those things are going to come true. And, you know, we we saw some positive potential in those guys. Obviously, we haven't seen it on the field ourselves, so we can't really verify that. But some positive things are being said about those guys, so maybe they can be the next wave. But to be the next wave, you need to get them experienced now, or you're going to go into next year going (gasps) – we don't have anyone with the experience anymore. Yeah. We're, we're going to put Brett Nealon out there and
2: say, Hey, we're going to get four guys beside you make them better. Brett. Yeah. So you uh, blow people. yeah, you're right. You got to blow people out. I think they can score points. The problem is they weren't getting off the field. Even if they weren't giving up points last year, they were giving up a lot of first downs, long drives, and they just didn't have the opportunity to just put people away. There's at least four games on the schedule that you could potentially blow those teams out. Yeah. If not all of them. And so I think you gotta do it if you can. And that's what mm-hmm. you're hopeful that Todd Orlando's defense will get off the field, force some negative plays and not give up, you know, long drives and maybe it'll only turn into a field goal, but you take the ball away from the offense for like seven minutes at a pop because you can't get you can't get stops on third down, which was, you know, one of the problems of this USC defense, you're, it's harder to blow teams out. So that's a great opportunity. And everyone's it's a free year. You're like all those guys can play and it doesn't matter. They can yeah. come back next year. It doesn't count at all. So get those guys, the young guys, as much playing time as possible. Mm-hmm. And Todd Orlando's
0: defense could be helped out by USC's offense. Second year in the offense, maybe you see a little more tempo. I'm hoping you see a little bit more, where they're just confident in the players, and you know they're not second guessing the play calls and stuff. They're just like, let's roll, let's go with it, let's leave the tight end on the field. We'll split them out if we need to, and then you you put the defense, you create some mismatches by forcing them to leave defenders on the field, and if they can go faster tempo, then that means that they the offense is doing well. Uh, And if the offense is doing well, you put up points and it won't be like Ryan said, it won't be like that Notre Dame game where in the second half, USC's offense was rolling, but couldn't get the ball back. You know, they didn't have the ball the last thing was like nine minutes or something where, you know, they scored every time they had the ball in the second half, but couldn't get enough possessions to come back.
1: Yeah, yeah. To your point, shotgun about the tight ends, we got to talk to new tight ends coach John David Baker this week, and he was pretty candid about uh, the tight end role and what they need to do. He basically said they need to prove their worth. They need to prove like why they need to be on the field. And something interesting he said that you kind of alluded to, shotgun, was that uh, in practice they have started to prove their worth in the sense that uh, if the quarterback is looking to them in a cr- critical situation and making that throw, that shows that there's trust there for that quarterback. Um, and apparently, that's happening in practice. Jack and I know you asked JDB a little bit more about that whole process. What did he have to say?
0: Hey, he said they got to prove themselves. That's the big thing is if they want to stay on the field and be considered a pass-catching option, then they need to prove themselves. That means third and five, pick up six yards, catch the ball when you're in traffic. And unfortunately, that's something we've seen the last maybe five years where – you know, maybe even since Taylor McNamara might have been the last guy who, mm-hmm. you know, would take that hit and you know would hold on to the ball. Tyler Petit, there were some times where you know he would take some, now there's some big hits that tight ends are gonna take. Uh, but Daniel Mora and Taylor McNamara might have been the last two, which you felt like if you throw it to him on third down, five yards past the line of scrimmage and you need four yards, you're gonna have a first down. Uh, so they need guys to show that they can do that on a consistent basis. And that's, that's something that they just have to prove. And it starts in practice. And so far, you know, according to JDB, they're, they're being able to do that. And he knows. He, he was a former quarterback, so he knows. You know, when the quarterbacks are on you know, third down or it's a critical situation, do you look at the tight end in the middle of the field or are you going, now? Nah, where's Amon Ross St. Brown? Where's Tyler Vaughn's? Where's Brew McCoy? Where's Michael Pittman last year? Where are those guys that I trust more? Uh, your tight end can be a great weapon. You you look in the NFL and how much they are that safety blanket—the Tyler, the Travis Kelseys, the Gronks, those type guys. Anytime I want to throw it to someone on third down, I'm looking to that guy because you know they can take
2: a hit and hold on. Mm
1: -hmm. Now Uh,
2: we we are actually. Do you want me to do any questions, or you want to? You have more topics you want to talk about?
1: I was actually going to go into a question. Right, that's fine. James on Facebook wanted to know the status of Drake Jackson and his hamstring.
2: Still
0: is not back practicing yet. So that's, a, that's a, something of concern. And you know, we knew it was going to be about two weeks. So, you know, when we see some images from this week, I think that'll be something to look for and see if he's back in pads yet or if it's still something. There's been way too many times we've seen just lingering issues with players. Hope Drake Jackson, that's not the case for him because obviously, such a talented player and you, want, you need him out there to do some unique things for this defense.
1: I think he posted some rehab on his Instagram stories and he looked better at least so that is positive news and as far as we got a question about Gary Bryant as well I believe we saw a picture of him a couple days ago and both his ankles were taped pretty heavily and he wasn't in pad, so that's something uh, to look out for there and in regards to Gary Bryant that was someone who we had kind of circled on the depth chart as far as USC special teams Yeah, he could be that spark that they, they need heading into 2020 and we got to talk to Sean Snyder today about uh, the returners he said that's still taking Shape. They're not really sure yet who they're going to have back there, but he mentioned the usual names. Uh, Shotgun, I know you were in that presser as well. Uh, What did you take away from Sean Snyder's comments as far as like the hidden yards that USC could really pick up this year?
0: Um, I mean, every year we talk, you know, there's not enough emphasis probably on the hidden yards that USC special teams has lost for them. You know, they make these really big plays and spectacular plays at times. And then give things right back. I mean, how many times last year did you go, did special teams just let them back in the game? Because that's what – I think I just saw that again. Um, so we'll, we'll see if that's the case this year. You know, you're looking at Ben Griffiths as a guy who can add those extra yards up for you, those hidden yards, you know, a 45-yard punt or a 50-yard punt versus a 40-yard one. And, you know, if you have the hang time, there's no return. We're hearing positive uh, reports on him. Sean Snyder said that, you know, he has – basically endless potential. You know, he has that booming leg. Now they need to be more consistent. That's the thing that Sean Snyder said. Said they worked on his his uh, steps a little bit and his his drops of the football when he's punting. So, you know, a couple small things, a couple small tweaks might be the difference to see him to finally unlock what we've seen in, in practice before but didn't really see in the games. And you talked about Gary Bryant. We expected him to be a guy that could be, uh, you know, an elusive returner, one of those unique guys that just, you know, can make a dynamic play on his own. Uh, which USC hasn't really had besides, since Adore Jackson w- was on the field, uh, he hasn't been practicing. So, you know, can he break into that mix? Is he going to be able to get into the mix once he comes back? back that Sean mentioned, Amon Brown, Avons, Elijah Griffin, and Stephen Carr. Uh, Elijah Griffin is the only kind of new name in there. You, know, you have the reliable hands of Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Tyler Vons as punt returners, and it seems like the other two guys back as kick returners. We'll see, you know, if we, we get some unique plays and if there's better blocking. There was times when Velus Jones just never had a chance to get a, get going because there were some bad blocks in front of him. Yep. Yeah.
1: As a reminder, you guys can call us five one two four tunnel. Our intern Micah is standing by on the line. We had a question from Jasper Smith who says, uh, "Who leads the team this year in receiving yards? Tyler Vaughn's, A uh, Alvin Ross, St. Brown, or Drake London?"
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. I'll probably go with Alvin Ross, St. Brown. But don't rule out Brew McCoy. He might have a big year, too.
1: Yeah, that's my sleeper pick, if it counts as a sleeper pick. Yeah.
0: What you I, I think Brew's going to have a breakout year. I think he's yeah. going to be, you know, people are going to take notice of him across the nation. But I'm on Ross St. Brown. He's just such a technician. You know, if you watch some of the clips they show, the routes he runs, it doesn't matter who's guarding him. Elijah Griffin, like, he gets beat by him. He's like, man, that was a good route. You know, <laughs> yeah. and Elijah Griffin was really good last year in coverage for USC, and I expect him to be really good this year. Maybe even talk about him for he'll be all packs 12 potentially All-American, uh, you know, if he continues the progress that he's had in the past. So, uh, But Amon Ross St. Brown still shakes guys like that. You know, he's that good, and, you know, he's so tough as well. So uh, I think that he'll end up with it. He's already Keaton Slovis, one of his favorite targets. But the good thing about this offense is you can spread it out. You can't really lock down one guy if you move on my say Brown around a little bit. It's going to be hard to stop this offense. Question though is the depth of that wide receiver group. Yeah, with Gary Bryant and Josh Jackson, both the freshmen are you know out with injuries right now. You got five guys, they're scholarship guys, dressing right now. Mm. That's that's not not much, in case you wonder.
2: No, yeah, not a lot. And it's funny if you want to watch some of those one-on-one battles, you follow uh, Gavin. Uh, on uh, Instagram, he posts that a bunch of times. It was funny to see Elijah Griffin dancing on the field to Warren G. I don't know if you guys saw that one yeah, to I his did. dad. It was, that was pretty funny. I was like, that's pretty cool. Like, Imagine like dance on the field to like give this famous song, your dad. Composed so, casual. that's kind of funny. Yeah, pretty casual. I also
1: just gotta say, I gotta get on this Gavin Instagram uh a payroll because Chris Trevino, Shotgun Striding, and now you, Ryan, have all mentioned his Instagram uh, in our, our different media platform. It's better
2: like than the the video we get from USC. Like, so <laughs> you know they we give do, us like yeah. this media video, but Gavin gives us some good stuff there. That's true. We have a question uh from uh, Fowler underscore Mario on Periscope. Okay, so he wanted uh, any news on Jason Rodriguez? Is he the seventh man? on the line, or do we have the three freshmen past him?
0: I mean, from listening to what Clay Helton has, how he's used his words, I would say he's behind that group. Um, So now maybe he's looking at at a different position than those guys, and if you go straight by, if if a person goes down in front of you, then the next guy up, rather than moving someone over, maybe then he gets an opportunity. But right now, I I think the three freshmen uh, have moved in front of him. He's a guy that has a ton of potential but he, he's got to get the, the technique down and, and got to get the fundamentals. That's what he was lacking coming into USC. You know, may, maybe it's, he's just a guy that just takes a little bit longer to develop to begin with, but then can have a successful career. But right now, sounds like, and again, we don't know. We don't get to see. We're going off of what the, the coaches are telling us. As, as Trying to get as much information as we can as we interview and talk to everyone. But as of right now, I think those three freshmen are in front of
2: him. Some of it might be, too, that they have to sort of, tout the freshmen because they're going to have to be in the mix and they might be, you know, talking those guys up a little bit. So I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it's hard to say because we can't see, but I think there's a reason they would want to talk about some of the freshmen just because, you know, that wasn't a great recruiting class. They didn't think there was going to be a lot of contributors. So if they're like, Hey, these are a lot better than what you guys thought they were going to be. There might be a little bit of that going on too. Yeah. It's
0: possible. They're like, it wasn't as bad as that ranking. It wasn't. (laughs) I promise. I promise. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe not exactly that way, but... That uh, voice? Yes, that would be the voice. Okay. it was that bad. The recruiting <laughs> class was that bad. Don't tr- I don't want any of this lies and slander about how, oh, we just needed big guys. You needed big guys because you sucked at recruiting offensive linemen the three, four previous classes before that. Fair you didn't fair. get any of your top targets. So don't now try to sell me that uh, suddenly that Jonah Monheim is the next A Sewell. Jonah Monheim, I think, is going to have a really good USC career. I don't think he's going to be the number three overall draft pick.
1: Shotgun, so spicy.
0: Bring some spice.
1: We had a uh, semi-question slash comment from James on Facebook who said, Last year, it always seemed like USC's defense was stout on first and second, and then they give up third and long easily. They would give up drives like Ryan said. Uh, What will it take to get them off the field this year?
2: I mean, it's great to force a negative play. And I think Clancy Pendergast's defense, they forced some of those. The problem was they could still give up the bigger play. Maybe it's a penalty. You get like a holding call on third and 13, something like that. Or pass interference, so I think it's the you know bringing the aggression uh, on all downs and being able to figure out a way to get off the field on third and longs. Like if you can, I think it's going to be a pretty good defense at forcing some you know second, third and long situations but then can you get off the field at that point and not give up a first down and then give up another first down and then, oh, you stop them at the 40, so they they have to punt and, you you know, whatever. But, like, you just waste a bunch of time and then you lose a bunch of field position. And they've lost enough field position with the special team. So it's really just about, hey, you make that good play on the opening drive and it's it's now third and 13, you finish it. And you don't, like, well, you give up a 10-play drive on that. It's like you can't do that kind of stuff. So uh, I feel it's going to be they look like the corners are going to be on, on somewhat of an island there'll be some aggression there and and force a you know a, another negative play on third and long situation so i think they're going to have to do that they just weren't really good at doing it the last few years
0: though one of the things that clay helton said that he was impressed with in this last scrimmage was that the, the defense rebounded it was you know did better uh, not giving up big plays in this scrimmage after they had given up some in the first scrimmage and he said it started with a pass rush so it starts with the guys up front we're hearing a lot of good things from the offensive linemen about Marlon tui Uh, you know, that he's kind of taking his game to another level. So if he can get that push in the middle, Brandon Peely potential, you know, to push that pocket back and then maybe force the quarterback to, to get out off his spot, which is what Clay Hilton said the pass rush did really well this past Saturday, I think that it's only going to lead to to better opportunities for the secondary. You've got a very experienced secondary right now. Even Chris Steele, even though he's a sophomore, he played a ton last year. I think this secondary is going to come up with a lot of turnovers. Um, and if you're a linebacker, that's a big question to me still. And But we've heard gushing remarks about Palli and Itiote. So if he takes his game to the next step and, you know, we finally start seeing that five-star ability that he had in high school and we haven't really seen at USC, this defense could be could be really good. They've got a lot of talent on it, but they need to put that talent together and we'll see how that defense and how Tartor Lando's defense uh, puts, does it, uh, putting it all together.
1: In that same vein, we got a question from Brandon on Facebook, uh, who says, "What part of the defense will be the strength, and where will be the weakness?"
0: Hmm. I think the secondary is the strength. I mean, yeah, I, I wrote about you know our top thirty most important countdown that we've been doing for the last couple of months uh, that we're closing in on the end of. I wrote about Isaiah Paul today, and people, I think people don't realize how good he's been. You know, he has the second highest tackling grade on the team um, behind Chris Steele, who didn't have a missed tackle all last year. Uh, but from pro football focus, he had a really good tackling grade. He had, the, I think, the, the top coverage grade for anyone with more than 75 coverage snaps. So anyone in the secondary, top coverage grade. Led the team with four interceptions, big hitter. He brings a lot to the table, and I think he gets overlooked a little bit just because Talano Hufunga is a beast, too. So you you have those two guys who are now third-year starters back there. Now, Isaiah pulled him out two years ago. you know He only started a couple games before he was injured. But those two guys, I think, are going to be really good. I think that Greg Johnson is, you know, undervalued a little bit too, and he's going to be playing a little bit different position. So we'll see how that goes as now as a safety rather than technically a nickelback and the, the cornerbacks, you got three good guys out there. So I think that I have a lot of confidence in that secondary. And if they're playing really well, that allows you to do so many different things as, an, as a defense coordinator with bringing different pressures and different looks that can confuse an offense.
2: Yeah, when we talked to Stephen Carr and asked him about you know who are the best hitters or who are the you know toughest guys to go against, he mentioned Isaiah Polamalu. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. said Zay or whatever, but like
1: which threw you off or
0: something? It did. I was
2: <laughs> like, wait, Zay? What what's that? I was that? Like, okay.
0: Yeah, he actually said Zay Palamalu, which Clay Helton has also called him Palamalu, which yeah. is, is, Dan used to do that too. Yeah, Polamalu, but he is related to Troy Palamalu,
1: mm-hmm. right? We got a comment from the P. Arbogast uh, and he was talking about USC's schedule and something that we've talked about here and which he alludes to, he said, I heard you talking about the Arizona state game being the game in the schedule, Utah at Utah, probably at night in November at altitude will be very tough. Whittingham always has them ready. I know you agree with me. I just thought it ought to be said. Agreed. I have been the the Utah truther, yeah, <laughs> I, feel, yeah. I feel like so far uh, between us three and he's right. It's going to be a tough matchup for USC. How do you see that comparing to the ASU game? I think I'm still marking that Utah game in my mind. Yeah,
2: well, thanks, Pete. Uh, The voice of the Trojans. It's great to have him uh, on there. He's a a USC legend, so great to uh, have you watching, Pete, and commenting. Um, Yeah, so the last seven games have all been won by the home team for the USC-Utah series, right? So the Mm -hmm. last—USC won like eight years ago in Salt Lake City, so it's been quite a while not you know, there's no must, right? There's not going to be the crazy fans, but still, you're traveling. It is the altitude, which is is going to be significant. Uh, it'll probably be at night. It's going to be late November. And it's going to be cold. Um, so there's you know significant um, road factors that go into this. They've lost a lot of talent from that team. There's no you know Tyler Huntley. There's no Zach Moss. There's no Bradley and I, Jalen John, like all the, you know, a couple of guys in the secondary. They've lost a lot of talent, and they struggled with talented teams last year, like the teams, Oregon, USC, Texas, in the in the bowl game. Um, they just didn't do well against teams that have like a very high level of talent. So that's why I would still give USC more of a chance there. The, the thing that worries me about ASU is they got to practice a lot more. You're getting them at the opener at 9 a.m. and USC does start kind of slow. I feel like they're going to match up well with this Utah team. Utah and Kyle Whittingham, their floor is not going to drop off. They lose a bunch of talent. If USC lost that kind of talent, like they probably drop off significantly. But I don't think they have a low floor. But will they be able to beat some of the elite teams? There's not really elite teams on their schedule outside of like USC, maybe ASU. I'm not sure. But I, you, certainly a, a reason for concern. USC hasn't won there in eight years or whatever. But they lost enough from last year. I'm not. You know, I, I still would rank ASU as a higher one, even though that one's at home. As a yeah. tougher game.
0: Yeah, it's definitely just the talent loss there. Uh, I mean, they're going to be USC torched their really really good secondary last year. (laughs) With that pick, (laughs) yeah, and now you're going to be starting. You know, Clark Clark Phillips the third from La Habra, local recruit um, that USC missed out on or didn't really want, um, is super talented. But he's a true freshman. He's going to be starting for them more than likely at one of their uh, their secondary spots. And I'm going to take Amon Ross St. Brown over him as a true freshman every day. You know, this isn't Jalen Johnson and those guys that that, that were in that secondary last year that had so much t- uh, experience, Terrell Burgess and that group. This is going to be a new group that has to come in and play. Um, so I think USC's offense, you know, it can get rolling and, and could potentially put up some big points there. But, again, there is always the, the fear factor of going to Salt Lake City with USC's history there. Never won on a Saturday. Never won on a Saturday there. Yeah, so it was, only, a, it was a Friday. Yeah. They have a Friday, uh, a, a Thursday win uh, uh, under, uh, I think, Lane Kiffen. Was this 2012? Was the Lane Kiffen year? Yeah. And then they have a Friday win in like 1914. So, <laughs> yeah. so no Saturday wins at Utah for, for USC. But yeah, <laughs> it, Arizona State just has more talent. And the biggest thing I think is, like Ryan said, they've been able to practice more. And I think that's something that's maybe not talked about or maybe won't be recognized uh enough going into this game
2: and the one thing that the utah game last year do you do you don't want to over like state how i mean usc played really well you got your third string quarterback in there and like shotgun said really torched a very talented secondary with matt fink you know with throwing to those receivers but they were pretty fired up for that game you had matt liner you had reggie bush in there i mean urban meyer was basically over you know watching Clay Helton over his shoulder. Like, there was a lot of weird factors going on there. And it was a big win. That was a top-ten team. So Utah's probably going to be looking for revenge. I don't yeah. think you're going to play as well as you did in that game, even if Keaton Slovis is playing. So we'll see. It's it's definitely going to be – you know, there's two really hard games, I think, on the schedule, or difficult games, and Utah is one of them.
1: Well, Cam admitted after the game, like, yeah, we stayed in man the whole time. Like, he just wanted to prove that the corner his co- corners were talented. And so I feel like he'll – Revise, you know. He know he has tape now. He knows what USC's. I mean, you should know what USC Water receivers could do coming into that game. But you never know. He they, might he just was be very like, Fool stubborn. Me once.
2: Yeah, he was very stubborn in that game. Yeah. They're probably gonna see some way different coverages and dropping eight guys and stuff like that, which. You know, with the talented huh. corners they had, they were getting torched.
0: I don't know. They, they've been pretty stubborn. They do their they do their thing, and they're really good at it uh, until they go up against some really talented teams, and it hasn't been able to work out. So they don't really change. You know, they're not out-scheming everyone. They just are, do what they do really well.
1: Yeah. Uh, we had a question from Coley White on YouTube who says, USC currently has closed practices, so you don't exactly know what's going on. What about Arizona State? Do they have closed practices as well? Any reports from them?
2: Yeah, I I checked with everyone in the Pac-12, and uh, I I don't remember where my notes are, but yeah, pretty much across the board, you either, there was a couple places you could watch like 20 minutes, but I think that might have been Arizona, not Arizona State. I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly what it was. Most of it is, though, you're getting some photos and some video, and you're getting Zoom interviews with players and coaches. So I think Arizona State was pretty much in a similar boat, where you'd get some access that's given to you by the school, but not anything you could see with your own eyes.
1: Interesting. Now we had a question from Christian who said, uh, with everyone that they lost, why do you think Oregon is still favored to win the Pac-12? Just because they have Mario C. I just don't see any area that they're better than USC. Your
2: thoughts? So why is USC always ranked preseason? Because they have all those recruiting classes and they have all that talent. Well, Oregon has that now too. So you're going to say, Yeah, you've lost all these guys. Justin Herbert is, you know, killing it in the league. You know, just won his first game as a starter and throwing for all kinds of yards. He had like 52 fantasy points or something crazy. Uh, Yeah, so there's like, there's that. They have a a pipeline now. There's five stars in the system. You are trusting that they have good coaching. They're doing a pretty good job of developing these players. And they're recruiting and bringing big names in. So you're not worried that, well, you lost that guy, you lost this guy that's the same kind of treatment USC is getting. So they're basically getting the treatment that USC is getting and they've proven it more recently. So they're going to be, they're going to get the edge. And I think they're the favorite in the, in the PAC 12, PAC 12 North for sure. Uh, but it's a tougher road. I think you're, you're playing Cal, you're playing Washington where for USC, it's not going to be, you know, quite as tough. So, um, you know, UCLA is going to Eugene also. That's going to be, that's going to be a bloodbath, but um, yes, <laughs> that's going to be an interesting one. So yeah, I mean, they're getting the same sort of treatment because they've recruited really well, and they have talent in the system. And I think they trust the coaches that they're going to do a good job.
1: What a question from oh, Sorry, Shotgun. Do you want to jump in?
2: I just want to say that I
0: didn't pick Oregon to win the, the North. You know, I, th- I think Washington. I, I've got. Oh. Um, I, I'm really high on Jimmy Lake as a coach, and I think that uh, you know they're going to be really gunning for Oregon. So I, I think that with the losses that Oregon, especially the offense line, basically losing the entire line, and they sold Muller there, Herbert as well. And some of the secondary guys, they lost. You know They did get a couple guys back, but you're still losing guys like Javon Holland, who's a potential first-round pick. So I think they've lost a lot, both in what they had last year and then on some of the opt-outs this season.
1: Uh, Bobby on Facebook wanted to know, do you think uh, we'll see the full effect of a a year, a full system of the the strength and conditioning program uh, with Aaron Osmus, with another year under uh, USC's belt?
2: I mean, it's tough because it was a weird off-season for everyone. Yeah, and you know, I, when I interviewed Aaron Osmus, uh early on in the pandemic, I mean, the the thought of doing like body weight workouts, he just it almost made him want to puke. I think. Like, and then you know, realizing like, hey, they're not going to have squat racks in everyone's house. We have to do stuff. You know, he's like, go and push a car. You know, so I think he had to adjust to that um, for sure. But it's not exactly going to be you know the last seven months of what his real program is just because they weren't having that opportunity. Now now they're doing it, you know, like the last couple of months, I think it's been closer to what he's wanted to do, but I'm not sure if anyone's strength and conditioning program is going to be exactly what you thought it was going to be because everyone had to adjust and do something different for, you know, several months.
1: We got a question from Clinton Ford on Facebook, who I assume is a parent also based on the question. He says, any word <coughs> on if they will allow families at the game in the petition?
2: I think it's a local thing. I think like the LA County deal has something to do with that. Um Where it was, was it? The PAC 12 said that like you could, if the schools allow and there's yeah. I, I think some of that's out of USC's hands, unfortunately Um I believe that's an LA County thing, but I don't know for sure. Do you guys know exactly? It's-
0: yeah. The, the PAC 12 basically said, Hey, it's not us. We didn't do it. We didn't do it. So local, local ordinances have to, to approve it. And, you know, with uh, Villaraigosa's response when they were trying to get allowed to have the full body of practices when he said, don't okay. go having fans of the games immediately, um, I think that that kind of says where that might go. Now, I'll, you need to try to get the parents in. I don't think you need the fans in, but the parents should be able to try
2: to come. Yeah. Eric Garcetti, I think you mean. Villaraigosa was the last guy, right? Oh, my yes. bad. <laughs>
1: Throwback shot, <laughs>
2: Political people. Whatever. They're all the same. Yeah.
1: Oh, we have a little parent connection happening in the Facebook comments right now because Scott Rodriguez just said, "Uh, uh Clinton and I want to run the chains. Make it happen, Ryan." <laughs> <So>.
2: <laughs> we could, yeah, we could do. I mean, there's there's a lot of traditions that are going to end, and uh, I mean, I we're gonna have uh, probably next week. We're gonna have uh, Joanne who runs, you know, who trains Traveler, and does, you know, Traveler's been running at games at in the Coliseum forever, and live mascots. Aren't allowed now. Uh the Trojan Marching Band, all the traditions they do, like we've been talking about on the art cast, all those things, stabbing the field and you know, having traveler run to, in the, lighting the torch to I mean, all that stuff is just not going to happen. So there's a lot of traditions that are dying because of this, and people that have, you know, gone to games, you know, at least game streaks, like are those gonna end? There's a lot uh that's it's unfortunate. But I, I agree with shotgun. I think you know, letting the families in. Like what you're talking about, hundred people, two hundred people. Like it, it's it holds eighty thousand. You can figure that out. Like is there there's no yeah. that's, I, that to me that seems like a no brainer. Like just be, common sense, make it happen, and you know they should be able to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Anthony on YouTube says, Does Stephen Carr get his first touchdown pass downfield this year?" Oh, interesting.
2: I kind of think so. I mean, the fact, the thing that stuck out to me for that day of interviews was that his vertical leap increased by like five or six inches. So I, I feel like that explos- the, whatever explosiveness was lost is is back now. And if he does catch a little swing pass out of the backfield, that's what you wanted to see. When we watched him at 7-7 seven and seven in high school, he was just like a wide receiver out there and he was catching touchdown passes all over the place. He was crazy to watch. And I feel like now you get him a ball in space and maybe there's a little broken coverage and maybe he's got to beat a safety down the line. He cuts in and and jukes him and, and, and runs in for a touchdown. I think you could see that this year.
1: Just shotgun.
0: Really downfield, pass downfield, though. That would require them actually calling a route to for him to go down. Where's the where's the wheel route for the running back? Um, there's some wrinkles in this offense we haven't seen yet. And throwing it to the running back and creating mismatches for the running back is one of them. You know, the USC's wide receivers are terrific. Everyone knows that. But you also have some. Really nice mismatches that you can can use with those running backs. Uh, so you know we've seen every once in a while we saw a, a wheel route, uh, but more more likely it was you know just a leak out. You know a guy that's the the secondary or third option on a pass play, and then sometimes they drifted down the field like Keenan Kristen did in the Arizona State game, rather than an actual route run for the for the running backs. But I would love to see it, Stephen Carr, as Ryan said, you can put him out at receiver, and that's another thing. If you go with a little more tempo, and if the guys know the offense, and that was said last week as well by Mike Jinks, is that they're trying to not only learn what their job is on each play, but to know the entire offense around them. So if they do go to tempo, hey, you can go out to the slot receiver, and you know the route that needs to be run, so that you don't have to change it, change over the personnel and allow the defense to sub out someone.
2: Yeah, and that that's that will be an interesting aspect because Mike Jinks did say like you could have Keen Christian in and. Stephen Carr in and one of them could slide out and be a wide receiver. So yeah. But I think he could even just catching the little swing pass out of the backfield, the third option guy, make some guys miss and, and go for a touchdown. He'd be I I wanted to see more of that. And and you know the potential for this year I think is there.
1: Jasper Smith says based on what we know as of today, who leaves early for the NFL besides A V T?
0: Ooh. Well the fact that anyone can leave early. Technically, anyone that leaves would be leaving early since they all get an extra year of eligibility. Um, you know, someone like Stephen Carr, if he does have a good year because running backs only have so much mileage on them, if he can prove that he can catch the ball in the backfield, that he can, you know, run the ball in, the, in between the tackles, those are the type of positions you're looking at. Marlon Peloto is another guy, you know, where you just – the wear and tear positions where – I could come back for another year, but what else can I prove the next year? And we'll see if Marlon Tui-Polotra or Brandon Peely has taken that next step in their game, that maybe they're ready to take that, to to make the move to the next level.
2: I think a bunch of guys in the secondary, you could see like a Talanoho fun guy, mm-hmm. Isaiah Polomau, uh Elijah Griffin. I mean, I think any of those guys, if they get, you know, have a huge year or something, get a few picks, get, you know, high rankings from pro football focus, they could potentially leave. There's, there's a lot of potential, like Shotgun was saying, just because, everyone gets the year back and you want to stick around one more. Uh, we'll see. So Slovis can't, right? He's only been two years, so he can't go yet. <laughs>
1: True sophomore. So. Hugo, speaking of Slovis, says, how do you see Keaton develop in year two?
2: I mean, the, the
0: Graham Harrell is fawning over him. Clay Helton has fawned over him. Clay Helton talked about him in, in uh, ways that he talks about a son-in-law, um, you know, that he loves on his wedding day or something. Um, he's really excited about him. And the biggest thing that Clay Helton said about him is that he's added some weight and he's stronger. They worked on his core muscles, so he's going to be able to make those throws. And listening to the DBs talk about him and the fact that he's making throws that I just can't get to. You know, I had great coverage on it, but I just can't get to it. Uh, He's putting pinpoint passes out there, like that one right there to Tyler Vaughn's. If if he is able to do that, I think he's going to have a big year. Uh, just gotta keep him healthy and the guys up front gonna block for him enough
1: mm-hmm. uh Nolan says will Gus Johnson be calling the game versus Arizona State yes it is the Fox crew the yeah. big noon crew
2: Joe yeah that's the big it's the big game and they actually did I think so the big ten opened last weekend and there was what was it I forget the Michigan uh Minnesota game I think that was prime time that was night and, yeah and then the the the, uh, was it Nebraska-Ohio State that was 9 a.m., the uh, the Big Noon one? Yeah. Um, and the, the Big Noon one actually got a little bit better rating than the primetime one at night. So it's a, it, it's a well-rated game. I mean, it, it does draw a lot of eyeballs. So I think there will be a lot of people watching that USC-ASU game.
0: I mean, it's also Ohio State. Ohio State ratings are always much better than Minnesota's ratings. But Michigan, uh, and, you know, Nebraska's ratings are probably equal to Michigan. So I don't know that for sure, but that would be my guess. Nebraska has a strong following, too. Minnesota, not as much, even yeah. though they're trying to row the boat. Just didn't do it so well last week. No.
1: <laughs> Jim Lacey says, do you guys know Marquis Steph will be ready for game one?
0: We do not, but it
2: sounds positive. Sounds but- like he'll be
0: ready.
1: I'm always holding my breath. Yeah, just with- It's taking too long, and I don't know why you'd be optimistic right now. That's all I'm going to say. Based there's, on the fact that we can't see anything.
2: It's hard to give the benefit of the doubt with the injuries because Keely talks about that. There's mm-hmm. so many times there's these lingering things. Like, after like two years of Daniel Mata, baby, you're just like, I, I mean, I don't know. It's like getting weekly updates and it just doesn't seem to change. It's like, all right, this, let me see him on the field. This You know, Solomon tua Pupa, we saw him on the field the one time and then that was it. And then he blows out his knee. So, yeah, there's just certain guys you're just like, all right, just wait until wait he's out there playing. like. He can be announced in the starting lineup, but until I see him on the field, I'm not going to really say anything.
0: (laughs) That is actually true. The starting lineups will come out and be like, oh, they're back in the game. Oh, wait, never mind. They're not playing.
1: Vine and Carr used to do that. There was like three straight weeks where it was part of the rehab where they would come out in pads and do work and then come out with no pads for the actual game. So
2: And be announced as like starters and not play and it's just like weird. You know? Yeah, the
0: Arizona State game in particular, both guys in full uniform warming up, I think it was, and then suddenly kickoff not so much anymore.
1: Yeah. And I did that for Cal and didn't come out. So it it was planned though. So it's just, you got to wait till the ball's in their hands.
2: <laughs> hey, wherever you're watching, hit the like buttons. I want to see some hearts and stuff go up on the thing. So hit the <laughs> likes, please.
0: Um, Marquis Step, also that injury is over a year old. Now he's yes. also dealing with some other stuff now. It's not the same as the foot, uh, but okay. that the foot injury, the foot ankle injury is uh, over a year old.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah it was Arizona it was the U of A game which was October 10th I believe uh, Anthony says with the shortened season and less prep time do you think the Pac-12 refs
2: get worse <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> it's a great question what is it did they change they made some changes so uh, they have that one dude that would like influence the referees he's out they brought in a new director you know football director that's someone that has football experience his name is uh, Blanket right now but when they announced the schedule they didn't roll out the new Pac-12 didn't roll out their new football guy. So it's probably going to be a lot more business as as usual, I would think, but you know, it's going to take a while to get to midseason form, which midseason form the Pac-12 refs is worse. Like then they get, you know, so maybe you get like okay Pac-12 ref for a while, and it just kind of goes that way, and you don't get the really bad stuff that they as they warm up, they start doing some really bad things.
0: If the Big Ten's any indication, that it's not going to be better. It's going to be worse with the non non-normal season because Big Ten rests were very bad on Saturday from the games I watched as
2: well.
1: What about SEC and Lane Kiffin, that whole debacle?
2: Yeah, I didn't I didn't fined. see all that one. I just saw he got fined. Yeah, he got fined and then like tweeted again and like mocking stuff. So yeah, he, Lane was in rare for They the the SEC admitted that like they should have. Yeah, it cost him the
0: game. I yeah. mean, Auburn's that's twice Auburn's got really favorable calls late in uh, late in the game. So SEC take care of uh, it's more premier programs, you'd say.
1: Kevin said he got the, the debrief of what happened from the officiating team and then said he needed to do a five minute yoga session
0: <laughs> afterwards. He got a fine for that. See, that's too creative. That's no, too creative no, it, to be fined for. He
1: got a fine for retweeting something. That's why you gotta have retweets do not equal endorsements in your bio. Oh, <laughs> uh, I like
2: that.
1: Uh, Branchon on Facebook says, What are the odds USC makes the playoff if they win the Pac-12 undefeated?
0: It's gonna take it's gonna take a lot of other stuff. It's not just gonna be on USC. They need it they need to both Go undefeated, show out really well. That means the blow the blowouts that we talked about earlier. Uh, you got to do that. You got to prove that you are the cream of the crop. There's no question about it in the Pac-12. But still, I think you need help. You know, just because you're only playing seven games,
2: mm-hmm. you need help in a, in a couple different ways. And one of them is going to be, say, Wisconsin wins the the Big Ten, but they're they're already down a game because they canceled the Nebraska game. Uh, it, you know, if you're probably going to need like. Georgia to have a game or two canceled, and if they finish second, they're not going to make it into the, the playoff. And obviously, USC has to take care of business and win all their games and do it in dramatic fashion. Not dramatic as far as close games, but just blowing teams out. Look like the best team on the West Coast by far and have a good Oregon team or somewhat, you know, good Washington team, whoever it is, in the championship game and boat race them too. So I feel you have to do that, and then you're probably going to need Some help. Also, the Pac-12 has to handle COVID better. You can't like the Pac-12 can't like Justin Turner this. Like they have to go out and like do everything (laughs) right. now. Well, I mean, so the Pac-12 can't lose games. Like you can't have USC playing a team that has lost games. They can't USC can't lose games. But you kind of need the other conferences to lose some more games. And if that happens, you sort of even the playing field. So the seven games itself won't matter as much. You know, most importantly, USC has to look like they're the best team on the West Coast by far. And then you're going to need some help from you know probably COVID-related stuff as well.
0: I don't think it's going to take necessarily lost games as much as just losses. So Oklahoma State loses. I think the USC gets in over any big, t- big uh, 10 cha- or 12 champion uh, because none of those teams will really look good. Um, and then, you know, the Big Ten, if you, if o- o- Ohio State loses, then I think you can also get in over their champion as well. The big question is if the SEC gets in two and Clemson gets in, then, you know, it's it's going to be a battle between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten? And that's saying if Oklahoma State loses in the, in the Big 12. Yeah. So you need some losses from those teams. I mean, if Alabama is to lose a game and then, you know, they match up again with Georgia and both teams have one loss, now suddenly – you got a two-loss team, then I don't think you're getting two teams in the SEC. A lot of things can still happen, and again, I, I talked about this before the season, but I think I thought it was going to be detrimental for the SEC because now they actually have to play tough teams every week. Yeah, you know, even the Ole Misses or Mississippi States, they'll jump up and, and bite somebody, and you saw that, you know, starting with LSU. Now LSU is kind of a mid-range team; they'll jump up and bite somebody that's in yeah. the upper tier at some point this season there's so much talent on those teams, much more than when you're playing Chattanooga or Coastal Carolina, even though Coastal Carolina is. Ranked way up uh, there this year, ranked ahead of USC right
1: now. That was a team that like Ryan had highlighted because they got all their spring. They practices had all their there. practices.
2: I there still haven't done like the research on that, but like <laughs> I now when I'm doing my Pac-12 previews, we've done them all for the podcast of Champions plug. But they, uh, <laughs> but I've asked every publisher like, how many spring practices did did you get? You know, and having more spring practices, I think, is a beneficial thing for Coastal Carolina. It seems to be like a. I mean, they came out of nowhere. They were like. They didn't a game like a couple of years ago. They get a new coach and they have all their spring practices and they were smart. They knew what was going on. I think they were like reading the news, like let's get the spring practices in early because this COVID thing is going to be, I don't think that happened, but, <laughs> but they did. And it's, they look like a you better turned. team, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. I, I think it's something that USC fans completely understand that if you actually practice, you play better. <laughs>
1: wow spicy okay we've reached the top hour I'm gonna get a couple more questions and then we're gonna wrap this puppy up sounds good Steve on Facebook says what is the leash for Clay Hilton this year as far as ceiling to keep his job we've got a Clay Hilton job question folks the season is back
2: yeah I mean it's a six game seven game schedule there's a pandemic going on I mean who knows if USC loses games it's probably going to be circumstances like well the whole offensive line was out because of COVID like I, I mean, I wouldn't expect, if you're a USC fan, expecting a coaching change after 2020. I mean, outside of like, you know, going two and four or something, which I mean, that, I don't think that could even happen. Uh, I just, I don't see something like that happening in, in this. You know, you have all the budgetary, you know, issues with the, the pandemic and stuff, unless it was just like absolutely devastating or there's some kind of scandal, which has happened at USC before. I, I don't see a change happening in 2020.
0: I think the financial aspects of it still are weighing pretty heavily there, especially with the fact that so many uh, athletic departments are leveraging or mon- um, get- getting not as much money this season. I think that – but we I, I do want to say we thought the same thing about pro coaches too. Like, hey, this is such a tough season. we're not, They're not going to make these changes. You saw a lot of NBA teams fire coaches. You've seen MLB teams fire coaches. Uh, it's a little different in college because of the money aspect of it, and the fact that you know just the athletic departments aren't bringing in the same amount of money. And you know, if you hire someone, but if some booster wants to pony up the money, that's when you start looking at potential hires or firing. Didn't think it would happen, but maybe you're seeing you know that tide turn a little bit for some places where they're like, this is too much. It, it, once the games get get going, it becomes business as usual. Even though there's so many different things, and I think Andy Infield pointed this out. You know, USC basketball didn't start practicing until like a week and a half ago when other uh, programs had been in the gym or had, didn't start practicing in the gym in the Galen Center until a couple weeks ago. Other people had been in there since July. So the NCAA allowed it in July, but obviously USC couldn't with the local restrictions. He said, when we start playing on November 25th, nobody's going to go, Oh, USC didn't practice. If they lose to, you know, Presbyterian or something in the opener, people are going to go, USC's terrible. They're going to go, well, USC didn't have any practices. Nobody's going to think about that. They see results. Once this game starts going, it's all about results.
2: Yeah. So I mean, that's, that's the whole ASU thing. They've got to – the NCAA allowed these 20-hour work weeks, which normally wouldn't do. It would be like eight hours in the offseason. But the NCAA allowed that throughout the summer. And ASU, with their local health restrictions, could take advantage of that, and USC could not. So that's a lot of extra practice time. That's why, to, to me, the ASU games worrisome.
1: Uh, we had a question, and Chaka, maybe you can speak to this also because you ranted about this on its analysis. Uh, will we be hearing from Tim Drevno or Soto anytime soon?
0: I mean, I hope so. I thought this would be the week that we get the offensive line and defensive line coaches with so many battles and potential uh, competitions there, and some losses that uh, on the defensive line that you want to hear. You know how they're filling those in. But we got the tight ends and the special teams this week. Maybe that's next week. You know, uh, better late than never, I guess. Uh, maybe they'll they'll inform us on how everything has shake has shaken out. No, that's not going to happen. They won't release the depth chart until the day before. So, but hopefully we will get to talk to them. I will actually be talking to Tinder Ovino tomorrow. So, Hello. if you guys if so you guys check out the site, and then you should be able to get a little bit on the office line
1: very nice shoddy one last thing and then we're gonna wrap it up uh people have been asking about the social media things that have been happening in the last like two hours i believe Clay helton posted something about like a movie premiere and slow has jumped in and and posted something too about being at the movies and i believe i think or something um matt leiner posted something as well being in the theater so something's happening not sure yeah we shall see
0: uh well, going to theaters is kind of restricted right now, so I don't think they're all gonna. The TL team's gonna go watch a movie together. I don't think that's gonna be it.
1: I'm just wondering when this was filmed. <laughs> that's my question, but
2: I don't yeah, know. I I don't know. It's, it's it seems like a little stunt, a little something. They're getting cute. We'll they
0: they're just trying to hype up. You know, maybe it's a Reggie Bush video, uh, video or something. You know, he did return a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you see some more from that. That could be something. Maybe it's just a preseason hype video. I don't
2: know. Yeah. I mean I wanna be. see football. Like I think hype videos have a place. But right now I want to see some football. Like this is a tough two weeks because the Big Ten has started. The now, Mountain I'm, West I'm, has started. The Mountain West has started. Well, Ryan now, made a big deal about that too. Well, and they've lost some games too. But this is gonna be a tough weekend knowing that's still one more week before Pac twelve football comes. So I just kinda I just wanna kinda focus on football. So maybe it'll be a cool thing tomorrow. I don't know. Can't be critical of something we don't know what it is, but (laughs) I just want, I just want football. Sure you can, Ryan. You've done it before. (laughs) I just want some football. You know, like it's, it's, this is the tough two weeks after the big 10 starts after the mountain West, how many get There's a few mountain West games that have been canceled, right? I think there's a couple that have already been canceled, but I, I know
0: they're moving the New Mexico game to San Jose. So. Oh yeah. That's another thing with the Utah game. There's no guarantee that it'll be played in Salt Lake City, you know, unless they make some changes in the local community there. Because there's already discussions about, hey, do they look and see about moving their opener to, to Tucson instead of in Salt Lake City? Because so like, the local community is not doing very well.
1: Because there's a Pac 12 stipulation that the community itself has to be not basically have their hospitals at max capacity mm-hmm. in order to play the game. So, and Utah is struggling right now. So. Yeah. There are issues there.
2: And I think with the big the big ten, like Wisconsin, I think they're locally, they've had a lot of like outbreaks and yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. So then it's sort of like, you know, it spreads but, to the team. They have to shut down team activities for a week. And the Big Ten, you test positive as a player, twenty-one days you're 21 out. Days, so yep. that's that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of like it, to be honest. Just forces you
0: to be that much more. Uh, you know, conscious of every decision you make in, in this time. So uh, it is, I mean, those kids are probably going to be healthy, you know, even if they do have some symptoms before then. Uh, and they, they're probably going to be chomping at the bit to get back. But, you know, sometimes if you break the rules, you got to sit out longer than anticipated. And that's that's saying they broke the rules. You know, catching a virus is not necessarily breaking the rules, but you can do some things that that help your causes there.
2: Yeah. And the PAC-12, they've had some meetings this week. So we might get some more clarification on, some of you know what's going to happen for week seven, because they still haven't declared what that schedule will be like. Are they going to use it for postponed games? Or are they going to do a seated thing? We just don't know yet. And some of the, the protocols, like if there's a false positive test, like we saw with Nick Saban, can a player or a coach get back in there? How long do they have to be quarantined? So there's some recommendations for the Pac-12, but they didn't really have the kind of protocols in place that we've seen in other places. And some of have been highly criticized, like the 21-day uh, thing for the big... Big Ten, which I believe Shaka was more about the myocarditis stuff. They wanted to do uh, co- yeah, a, a, a cardiac screening stuff. Mm-hmm. But I saw some other reports on Twitter today that were like, "There's been it's been such a, a non-thing that they don't even recommend doing those anymore. It just really hasn't been a, a, an issue. So I don't know. From that initial report, it seemed like it was a big deal. And since then, it just seems like it hasn't been. So the 21 days might be a little overkill, but I don't know. We'll see. But the Pac-12 isn't isn't doing that that we know of.
1: Mm-hmm. All righty.
2: The Pac-12 hasn't announced it though, so
0: don't put anything past it. Twenty-one days in the Pac-12 is half the season,
2: yeah, right? True. Yeah,
0: that, that's true. crazy. That's cr- it's half the season, so uh, that would put, that would put even more
2: emphasis on the players to make sure they're doing every little thing right, so they can yeah. stay on the field. Mm-hmm. daily—it's funny, like the daily testing aspect was supposed to like stop the yeah. spread, right? But they I think they're ta- daily daily testing at Wisconsin. And you still had, you know, 12 people or whatever, including the head coach, uh, get it. And how does the Pac-12, and Shaka, you're the baseball expert, how does the Pac-12 have like daily testing where USC players get up and, and they get swabbed at six in the morning and you know by seven if they're tested positive or not. In the middle of a World Series game, you get a test back that's a uh, guy's positive, like that's actually playing the game. Like, How does the Pac-12 have better testing than Major League Baseball that are in a freaking bubble in Dallas? Like, I, That doesn't make any sense to me. It still has not, have not figured out how that could happen.
0: Like I've tried to go through scenarios like, oh, this could this. I can't come up with a scenario that makes sense besides someone just broke the rules. And uh, I mean, apparently Turner broke the rules by, you know, he was supposed to isolate after they told him to isolate and he was just like, nah, bruh, I'm going out in the field to celebrate. I've been waiting for this. So oh, yeah. I, apparently I don't, I mean, I haven't read up on all that, but uh, just from my own thoughts, I haven't thought of a scenario where it makes sense how you're in a bubble you're testing every day and somehow you don't find out until the seventh inning of a game that you need to take someone out.
2: Especially you only have two teams. Like, can't you have testing there that you could just instantly do it? Like, every NFL team has that facility at their facility. The Pac-12 has it now. Like, the Big Ten has it. I wh- Why would Major League Baseball not have it? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't understand
0: why. I mean, there's the, obviously the differences between the antigen testing, and the PCR testing, which Kurt points out on YouTube, but... You can, if you're in the World Series, you can do both of those every day. Just yeah. do it. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt anything. You can pay for it, MLB. Yeah, weird well, stuff. We, <laughs> definitely.
1: Weird. Definitely weird. But hey, guys, we'll be back on Wednesday for a preview show. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, so that will be exciting. What do those hands mean, Ryan?
2: We're going to be going and rolling along, okay. previewing <laughs> USC Arizona State.
1: Exciting. Yes. Yeah. So we'll be talking about real football, a real matchup, and then we'll be back on that Sunday after the game to break it all down and uh, give our reactions and whatnot. So it'll be an interesting, we're uh, getting back in the swing of things, guys. I'm excited, and, and football is back.
2: Yeah. And look, at the numbers were good. Looks like we had a whole bunch of people watching on YouTube and, and Periscope and stuff. So I love that. Thank you guys for for coming back now that we got football back uh we had like good viewership throughout the the you know the off season but now that there's actual games i think people are getting a little bit more excited about which and we a are too and consistent
1: schedule too i think that will help yeah. as well so look out for that we,
2: we, we almost didn't do the show today because it could have been game 7 of the world series but True. the dodgers won so a lot of
1: things are
0: happening yeah yes. why why are you going to bring up old shit come on <laughs> As oh, a they, as a Braves and a Rays fan,
1: uh um, oh, been apologizing to me in the comments. i I appreciate it. The Dodgers
2: <laughs> just cruised through, like they weren't even close to losing at all this year, right? Sure. I didn't I didn't pay a lot of attention, but
0: anyways, did want to say congratulations to USC legend Mark Pryor, the Dodgers pitching coach, who uh won a World Series last night as well. Yeah. I'm wearing I'm wearing my Tampa Bay Lightning jersey here. Uh Dan Wagner. Hey, I did pick up. I did bandwagon on the Lightning because yeah, my hockey team is hard. extinct now. I'm a Thrashers fan. My hockey uh, team is extinct.
2: They're God, yeah. Good try, but though. Two championships for LA—that's pretty cool. Tampa, you know, Tampa would have had two also. So,
0: it could—it could have
2: been a real good year for Tampa because they also had the Buccaneers playing really well. The Bucks are playing well. Yeah, the Rams have a have a shot. So, they, who knows? We'll see some more. Uh, who?
0: LA versus know. LA versus TB. You know, it could be a become a cross cross-coastal rivalry here yeah interesting
1: all right i'm wrapping this thing up guys yes uh, that's Ryan, that's shocking i'm keely we'll see y'all on wednesday thanks for watching bye
2: thank you